You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Collective Cafe, a virtual coffee experience which takes place every single Monday through Friday, 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in both Alpha Collective's Discord, that's discord.gg forward slash alpha collective and startup clubs house in clubhouse it's free it always will be free there are no strings attached there is no bait and switch lurk or listen only chat with one another in our back chat or even come onto stage the coffee shop is open for business whether you're on the treadmill getting the kids ready for school getting yourself ready for work commuting into the big bad city or maybe just even commuting from your bedroom to your home office on Monday, we manifest. On Tuesday, we talk thought leadership. On Wellness Wednesday, we discuss mental health, wellness, and life skills. On Thursday, we do live book reads and discussions with the author. And then on Friday, it's No Agenda Friday, where there is no agenda. Start your day off on the right foot, on the front foot, with virtual coffee, with the collective cafe, where we mastermind, we manifest, we collaborate, we help one another at the business of Web3 or anything else that intersects, whether it's culture, collaboration, creativity, innovation, disruption, entrepreneurship, or coaching. So give us a subscribe, bit.ly forward slash collective cafe to go, or a review on your favorite podcast platform if you're listening on demand or of course join us every day live it is addictive and remember it is a safe welcoming space and you will never ever be put on the spot this is alpha collectives collective cafe my name is joseph jaffe well good morning good morning everybody it is Tuesday, December 5th, and uh, been, a, been a little bit of a break for a while. I'm actually trying to work out when the last Collective Cafe was. Um, the, I was in South Africa, I had COVID, there was a lot of work stuff going on. Um, it's a good thing, business picking up, um, especially on the EOS side with uh, business coaching, leadership coaching, and... Um, and, uh, you know, normally when I do a coaching session, a uh, coaching session starts about 9 a.m. And we do this live from 8 to 9 a.m. And, um, and I, I like to get into the session room at about 8, at about this time, start to write the agenda, the objectives on the board, get the room set up, get all my notes sorted out. And, um, and I just, I think it's important to get into the right mindset, the right, uh, the right, um, uh, right frame of mind, right energy, and going straight from the collective cafe uh, into a session, it just doesn't. I mean, it it doesn't work even just from a logistical standpoint. Um, 
for example, last week when I was last week was pretty four of the five days were actually spent um, on EOS related activities. Monday I was driving up to just outside Boston for what we call our MCE, which is our Metro uh, Community Exchange, um, and uh, and so there was. You know, drove up, had our session, then came back. Uh, Wednesday, I had a coaching session. Thursday, we had what's called a QC, which is quarterly collaborative exchange. I said community. I meant metro collaborative exchange. QC is the quarterly collaborative exchange, which happens at a company level. And so they do about three of those in person, like in Tampa, Detroit, Detroit, Denver. And uh, I wonder if there's another place they do it in person. Um and then they do a virtual one, so I attended the virtual one. And uh, and then on Friday, I had another coaching session. And so I guess my point is just that when I do those coaching sessions, um, I'm just not going to be in the Collective Cafe. Um, but I'm glad I'm back. Uh, good to see you, Billy. Um, today, uh, I want to actually talk a couple of things I can talk about today. I can talk about the my thoughts on on what's happening with Elon Musk and and Twitter and X, uh, etc. And uh, you know, I th- another topic, but I think I'm going to hold it over just a little bit closer to the to maybe in a couple of weeks' time is talk about uh, New Year's resolutions um, and also just this idea of um, kind of a concept I introduced with my new book, but slippage. You know, when you like when when you give up on things. I mean, I can talk about this on so many levels, right? Like I have an account, an, an accountability partner that was with me at boot camp and we said we would talk every week and then suddenly you miss a week and then you miss two weeks and then the next thing you know, you're not meeting anymore. And um, and that's what I want to talk about. You know, like for example, doing the collective cafe every day and then suddenly it becomes every other day and then it becomes uh, haphazard and sporadic and then before you know it, that's gone. And I, even when I think about my show, Joseph Jeff is not famous. Seven days, five days. Now I'm doing it once a week. Um, and, you know, there's a fear. Like once you're down to once a week, what is stopping you from quitting, from giving up on it? What happens on the week where there is, it's like getting on the scale every day. It's like a New Year's resolution. So you can see it applies on so many levels. Um, and it's clear to me that the discipline and accountability that, that enables you to show up on a regular basis, how important it is, how just critical it is, quite frankly. Uh, but the key, and this is my tease, I'll, I'll, uh, maybe we'll talk about it later or not, um, is you've got to find that sweet spot. You've got to find what's realistic. Is it five? Is it four? Is it three? Is it two? Um, and then you've also got to um, come up, I think, with your own code, your own rules, your own guidelines as to what happens when you skip once. You know, as to they've got it. There's got to be a set of guiding principles that the that allow you to, you know, to contingency plan. You know, for example, I could say when I'm not in the collective cafe, then the collective cafe still runs, but somebody has to fill that uh, spot. In order to say that, in order to execute on that, there's got to be process in place. So there's got to be like a Google Doc or a spreadsheet where people can sign up. Uh, but in order to have people sign up, you have to have a bench. You have to have a pool of people that are willing and able to sign up 
when they are contacted and if they are contacted. Um, and then, of course, potentially compensation or at least what's in it for them. It may just be, you know, by the grace of goodness from, from regulars that say, hey, I'd, I'd be only too happy. I just need advance notice. Uh, one of the things, one of the, the thinkings that I had for Alpha Collective was that whenever a session was done by a member, I'm still, you know, hoping to execute that one day, not giving up on that, talk about giving up, um, that they would be compensated. And so, um, in fact, the original idea, which I still would like to implement, is that um, at the time it was going to be 100 ETH. So now that would be about the equivalent of about $220,000 of the actual total revenue would be reinvested into the membership base. Um, so essentially the, the, whole, the whole community would be powered by the community and they would be compensated. And so for the most active, the most um, highly rated, the most, um, you know, the people that are in earliest, they would get first bite um, and... And the original thinking was that, you know, you do, you get a third of your purchase price refunded. And so all you have to do is contribute three times and you basically now are playing with the house's money. You're in for free. So I'm still planning on executing that. But again, the point is, um, you know, and we'll talk about it and I'll kind of park it for now, but with respect to New Year's resolutions, with respect to committing to things, with respect to habits and and rituals and routine what happens when that inevitable that inevitability or the inevitable moment is where you miss once or you know etc cetera, etc cetera. i'll just say one more thing as well which is um you know my whole life i've struggled with weight and uh, i've never I, I swear to myself every time i lose weight that i will never allow myself to put put the weight back on and yet it always comes back on and I feel like I'm so close and yet something happens. You know, I haven't created that rule book. I've started creating rules, but I haven't necessarily created the rule book. So, you know, one of the latest things I've been thinking of is for every day that I eat badly, I have to eat really well. So if I go away for 10 days and I eat badly, what's badly? I enjoy myself. You know, I have cocktails. I go out for dinner. You know, I eat some comfort foods from South Africa, which is, you know, that, are, that I miss. So, but let's call that a bad day. But for every bad day, there has to be a good day. And not a good day, but like a really good day. Like we're talking about like a, like a detox, like a, you know, like a liquid day. Maybe a little extreme, you know, maybe just, um, you know, certainly no carbs. You know, possibly um, intermittent fasting. Um, but this idea that says, "All right, you went went away. You gave, you know you enjoyed yourself. You relaxed. You had ten days of actually just completely just relaxing. Now, do you have the mental uh, strength, for, uh, you know, fortitude, whatever the word is? Do you have the mental acuity? Do you have the mental strength to come back and just kind of like shock the system? Uh, and and I think the answer is always yes." If you are aware of it, if you are psyching yourself up, you know, if you are like actually, you know, managing your own expectations. So for me, what that means is I go away for 10 days, I come back 
and for 10 days I am just super, super disciplined. Is that a huge price to pay? No, it isn't. No, it isn't. You know, does it mean that I'm going to do without everything, like alcohol, like, uh, you know, whatever? You know, maybe just, you know, focus on portion control, um, have salads for dinner, you know, with a, with a little bit of protein, a little bit of tuna. Of course it's possible. We know it's possible. Um, so why don't we do it? And so, as I said, I'd like to dedicate an entire um, episode of the, um, the Collective Cafe between now and when I head uh, to South Africa. But I thought I'd switch gears a little bit and, and talk about... Um, the, we, we discussed it a little bit on Friday while I was actually prepping. What I did do is while I was prepping for a session, I did, uh, I did just um, uh, call in and Praxim was here and so we discussed a bit of it. But I thought I would revisit the whole Elon. Um, you know, I, I think it's beautiful because I can actually just use my, my soundboard when he basically told advertisers to go themselves. Um, so... Um, and and just and I and I I was on a podcast on Sunday, which I do the Beancast, which I do monthly, and so I'll just kind of walk you through my frame or, or my narrative, not narrative, but actually kind of like my talk track, if you will. So I basically said, okay, so for those of you that living under a rock and and not sure uh, what happened, you know, Elon bought uh, Twitter for I guess it was forty one billion dollars, um, and just proceeded to just make bizarre you know, decision after bizarre decision. Um, so much so that uh, he ended up bringing in Linda Yaccarino, who was head of like ad sales or, you know, head of sales at NBC Universal. So she was a salesperson. I mean, the most senior salesperson. It's, I don't want to diminish her seniority at all. And, uh, and, he, and there were just some like shocking things. Like, you know, a lot of people questioned um, him charging people for, the blue check mark and what that did to the fact that you weren't really sure who was real and who wasn't now based on the fact that anybody could just get a blue check mark and obviously changing Twitter to the name X and, um, you know, every marketing and brand person on the planet just kind of scratched their head at that saying, why would you take a brand name so recognized and change it? Um, even Facebook essentially changing their name to Meta but Facebook is still called Meta. I mean, Facebook is still called Facebook, the actual social media, uh, you know, platform. And anyway, so, you know, long story short, um, he, he obviously, like, just the fact that he was tweeting so actively and participating so actively and not always in, in the most benign fashion. And then there was a post that, um, that uh, he went and responded to with a, which which was you know deemed to be comp- the post itself um, was deemed to be um, quite blatantly anti-Semitic, and he agreed with that. And uh, you know there's such backlash in light of what's going on in in Israel and Gaza at the moment that uh, he went on this I don't know spontaneous impulsive trip to Israel. I don't know if it was an apology tour or whatever it was. Um, met with the prime minister you know, ended up putting on these dog tags. Um, I actually have a pair, uh, the same dog tag, dog tag here that says bring them home now. Said he wouldn't remove them from his neck until the last hostage was freed. Um, came back and uh, ended up at, uh, at at a conference called Deal Book. 
um, was in, was interviewed by uh, Aaron Sorkin and uh, and basically told um, advertisers to go f- themselves and then proceeded to repeat it again. Go period period yourself period and called out um, Disney's uh, head honcho uh, in the audience. Uh, hey Bob, if Bob's there, hey Bob, um, and um, just you know Bob Iger, uh, just incredible, just incredible uh, in terms of that move. Um, I think afterwards um, we've seen since that Walmart has announced that they will no longer be supporting X, um, and the backlash was quite quite clear. So these were my thoughts, and then also would love to hear yours as well uh, in the audience if you want to put them in the chat if you want to raise your hand um, etc make this into a good conversation so I basically said look there are maybe two scenarios and instead of necessarily telling you what I think like this is exactly what I think what I will say is we don't know we we can't know we can't know for sure we can speculate and boy oh boy do people love to speculate you know on Twitter spaces on X you know, on Clubhouse, you know, whatever, on Twitter, like just everyone has an opinion, (laughs) regardless of whether they have any expertise, credibility, track record, you know, whatever, but everyone has an opinion. So this is how I framed it. So one of two scenarios. So scenario one is, is almost asking two questions. Does he know what he's doing? And does he care? And so my scenario one is he doesn't know what he's doing and he doesn't care. So what am I referring to? I'm referring to the fact that the advertising. I'm referring to the fact that he buys Twitter, which is a, I think I heard, I mean, I like, I don't know, that four out of $4.6 billion of revenue came from advertising at one point, whether that was last year, the year before, something like that. I, I, I need to, um, you know, that's, unsub- I mean, I just, that's what I believe. It could be completely wrong. So, what was he doing? He was getting into the media game. He was getting to the ad game. That's something I know a little bit about, you know, as someone who's worked on the marketing advertising agency, uh, you know, side. And um, one of the reasons why he hired a media person, Linda Yaccarino, to run, to take over and run Twitter, although we all know, uh, especially based on the way that she has just been, whether it's sucking up to him or, or just her, Enabling, I don't know what you want to call it, but clearly Elon is still running Twitter, not that we ever thought it would be anything uh, otherwise. Um, even though, you know, she may be the CEO, it's still Elon's show. But let's talk about media. Well, media ad-supported, in an ad-supported world, you know, whilst he referred to advertisers as being, as blackmailing him by, by threatening to or by withholding their ad dollars, um, he clearly missed uh, a huge point, or maybe he didn't, and he was fully aware of it. But here are a couple of things for that you, you know, just some thoughts from me to you. Number one, um, advertisers in general are not very—they're um, not people with with—and I, I know this will sound harsh, but they're not people with high integrity. <laughs> you know, they're in it for themselves. They're in it to build their brand. They're in it to build their business. They're in it to get their ROI. Um, they're in it to not lose their jobs individually. Um, and, you know, one of the things about the American market in particular is when you've got 
you know, a few hundred consumers, you can't really afford to play to the edges. You really have to be middle of the road. You have to be vanilla. You have to be, you know, one might say satisfactory or even mediocre. You can't afford to piss off, um, you know, too many of consumers. I mean, look at what happened with Bud Light and Dylan Mulvaney. You've got to kind of play it safe. And, and, and the irony, of course, is that, you know, there is this delicious irony. Bill Bernbeck, who once said, safe advertising is the riskiest advertising of all. So by not taking chances, by not taking risks, you know, by not being able to, you know, have a point of view, have a purpose, you know, stand for something. If you stand for nothing, what will you fall for? Um, you have, uh, and, and there is the danger of being forgotten or ignored or, um, or just becoming irrelevant. But that's still a different point to actually, you know, being risky. And so you've always seen advertisers get very uh, prickly about things like, like brand safety and, and ad adjacent, uh, you know, where your ad appears. And I'm, in this case, it's not illegitimate. If your ad is, is directly above or below something promoting, you know, anti-Semitism or, you know, Nazism um, or, you know, or, or, you know, anything that would be considered white supremacy or anything that would be considered to be just absolutely, you know, um, off the table, um, offensive uh, to a fault, you absolutely have the right, and advertisers have always had the right, um, to, you know, to place their advertising in an environment that A is, you know, remember number one is targeting and target market, right? This idea of I want my ads to be seen by my customers, my potential customers, my prospects, the right target audience. You know, for me as a, you know, as a coach at EOS, our target audience are privately held businesses, 10 to 250 employees. That means that if I have the ability to place an ad or a message and I can target companies that are 10 to 250 employees, my ad is being wasted if it's getting in front of companies that have 100,000 employees or 50,000 employees because they are less likely to buy. But the other part of that is this idea of the environment. You know, is, you know, whether it's, you know, Disney Times Square versus Times Square of, you know, the 80s and, and uh, you know, and early 90s, you know, with, with prostitutes and, and three-card Monty and where you were likely to be mugged. Um, so the environment is, is as important as the people inside the environment. And so what really happened was that, you know, it was inevitable and more likely than less that you would see advertisers get quite skittish and squirmish um, about, um, let's face it, what, is, what Twitter has become. Now, whilst, whilst Elon has continued to beat the drum of free speech and, you know, the public square being unfettered or unrestricted in terms of controlling and allowing all sides to speak freely, the fact is that it has become quite toxic and not a very brand-friendly, let alone brand-safe environment. So... The reality is, is that, you know, what happened with this anti-Semitic tweet of his that he said was the dumbest tweet he's ever put out in his life. 
Okay. And boy, oh boy, has he done some dumb things. You know, remember him smoking a doobie uh, on, on Joe Rogan's show. Um, the reality is that this tweet was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. I think it's important to recognize that everything that led up to that tweet, and then there is the moment itself, right? The, the, the controversy of the moment. Let me come back to that in a moment. But before I do, I want to tell you a quick story. I think this actually happened while I was working on the account. Um, Fortune magazine, and I guess this would be around about 19, when I was at Ogilvy, it was 1997 through 1999. Um, they ran uh, a profile piece on Lou Gerstner. And I think they called it Big Blue, you know, something like kind of, it was something about Big Blue. And it was a profile piece on Lou Gerstner. And it was a, it painted him in in somewhat of a, I don't know, critical, neutral, neg- negative, and also positive, but it painted him as this just, you know, dictator-like or autocratic-like or, you know, it was, a, it was like he was the big bad, the big bad CEO, you know, as in the tough guy, the whatever. He, he hated it so much. He was so offended that he pulled IBM's advertising. He literally said, we're not advertising in Fortune magazine anymore. Talk about cutting your nose off to smite your face. Fortune was probably one of the top three, maybe top five, but even top three publications that actually reached IBM's core demographic, core target audience, which is, you know, CEOs and typically, you know, mid to mid, uh, you know, mid a- middle age to kind of mature um, white males. And, you know, Wall Street Journal was one for sure. And probably Fortune was like number two and maybe Forbes number three. And he just said, you know what? Screw you. No more advertising. This is what you're going to do. You're not getting my dollars. So that is the vindictiveness uh, of what an advertiser can do. But this was all personality driven by the the man at the top. Uh, Today, we would see, you know, we would see less of that, if that at all. And also... Um, let's face it, I mean, this was editorial, you know, there, there still was, is, maybe should be, maybe there isn't any more. I mean, who, who were kidding, you know, a division between church and state. I don't think that's there anymore. I mean, um, it's just so much mess and opacity and, you know, deep, I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's a bit of a mess out there. In fact, the whole publishing model is a mess right now. Um, especially with fleeting ad dollars and you know and um, and disintermediation and um, fragmentation, et cetera, et cetera. So when the ad dollars start to fleet, flee um, the editorial content integrity, it's it's a vicious cycle. I wrote all about this in two thousand four. I called it the vicious cycle of content. Um, and so and so there is precedent where advertisers do kind of exercise their clout and their might and their, you know, their financial clout based on behavioral aspects or even, um, you know, ego-driven or personality-driven. So the reality is, is that, um, you know, he certainly created this mess and, and this is the way the advertising game works. And if you want to be in the ad game, you know, sorry, doesn't matter if you are the world's richest man you kind of got to play by the rules. You kind of got to play by the rules. 
um, because um, it's, you know, there's a lot of money uh, at stake and there's a lot of money in play. I will, I will make one point, although this was raised, although I'm not sure that 100% it applies, but one of the things that is true with respect to Facebook and even Google is that an overwhelming percentage of their ad revenue doesn't come from, you know, the Fortune 100 or even Fortune 500. It actually comes from small and medium business. It comes from mom and pops and smaller businesses that are actually advertising and specifically local. So it worked really well clearly for Google, clearly for Facebook even as well. And so a lot of the ad dollars actually came from smaller players. So the question could be, you know, um, maybe this this was always the plan or or maybe the ad dollars could be made up or compensated or this is where it was heading. I can tell you I've done some um, promotions, Twitter promotions, and I haven't seen much lift at all. But then again, I've done some on Facebook and, you know, I've done some on YouTube too. And I can't say that I've seen dramatic results. Maybe I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just, you know, again, mom and pop for my show. I mean, I've seen, I've seen subscribers grow, um, but relatively not as much as maybe I would have hoped for what I've spent. Not that I've spent a lot, but, you know, I might put about 40 to $50 behind each episode um, of the show, and maybe I'm going to get eight subscribers. Um, so, you know, if you, if you do the math and if you're saying, well, $4 a subscriber, I mean, I'd like to be able to spend less. You know, I'm, I'm not that... You know, I'm not that rich as a content creator. I'm not, I'm not owned by Paramount or whatever, Viacom, I should say. Um, so so that's, that's scenario one, right? Does he know what he's doing and does he care? No, he doesn't know what he's doing because he doesn't get the ad game and, and he doesn't care, right? I, I just want to say one more thing, just be, like, kind of like as a little bridge, which is the actual event itself, um, you know, calling out Bob was probably not smart, but there's definitely, and I've, <laughs> I've been listening to a few uh, Twitter spaces where a lot, of con- <laughs> a lot of conspiracy theories are coming out, that this was very premeditated, that he definitely has um, a bit of a, um, a vendetta or an issue with, with Disney and or Bob. So, you know, let's, let's not go down that, uh, that uh, rabbit hole um, but some people actually just found it funny. Like it was actually quite entertaining, you know. Um, uh, Billy said, I loved it. Be clear and call him out. It's refreshing. Um, I mean, I was like, I was like, get the popcorn. <laughs> I was like, it was hysterical as far as I was concerned. Um, and, uh, um, but, it, but the reason why I brought up the Lou Gerstner story is because there's no question that Bob Iger is Lou Gerstner in terms of, the personality, the the ego, the power, the control, you know, whatever the case may be. So it is more likely than not that an event like that or a moment like that would result in Disney saying, okay, buddy, no more advertising from any... Remember, Disney owns a lot of companies, not just Disney, you know, not just Disneyland, Disney World, you know, uh, but streaming and and ABC, and ESPN, and, 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 and the list goes on. So it is going to cost him, there's no question. Other advertisers will, will also 
uh, follow because advertisers, as I said, they're not the most high integrity people. They're not the most, you know, they're, they're fairly spineless. They, in the sense that they will bend and break and blow whichever way the wind blows because they do need to be vanilla. They need to be middle of the road. Um, and they're going to shy away and run away from controversy. Um, and so not surprising that Walmart would follow and others may follow too. But remember that, that the point being that it's less about the event itself, the, you know, uh, the, the go f- yourself and more, um, you know, the, the, the anti-Semitic tweet and everything that led up to that. That just kind of said, look, you know, it's the point of no return. It's the same thing like with us, you know, which is like, what is, what is the, the moment or the event that's going to make you delete the app or just say, I'm out. I don't need this anymore. And maybe you, you never will. And maybe you were one of the first to go and maybe you'll be one of the last to go and maybe you won't go um, at all. So, um, so I, just, I just wanted to uh, say that um, as well. Um, let's talk about Sonora 2. So Sonora 2 is, remember, Sonora 1 is he doesn't know what he's doing and he doesn't care. Um, Sonora number 2 is he knows exactly what he's doing, but does anybody care? Do we care? So what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is he knows exactly what he's doing. He's been absolutely brilliant at being self-promotional or i mean you know as a as he is almost a media company in 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 of him in of himself in itself himself i don't know he's he's a media company per se he's a one man you know media company uh or certainly media brand uh pulls impressions like you cannot believe um and so you know was this a stunt was it premeditated hell you know was Disney in on it? Who knows? Um, but it certainly got everybody talking. Was he trying to shake up the whole landscape? Was he trying to get rid of all the big players that maybe were putting price pressure um, on on um, you know negotiation? So by getting rid of them and their clout and their agencies, this could uh, positively impact uh, pricing ad sales and revenue who knows right but was was this also kind of misdirection uh in a sense was he maybe just trying to you know going back to the first thing just trying to create more uh more impressions and more ad space and maybe you know price it accordingly for smaller uh players for smaller medium businesses um so you know was he was he actually heading into a world where advertising does not exist or advertising does not play such a major role. And and before I get there, I just want to make a point, which is he said something. I don't know if you've seen the, the – there's an extended version um, of, you know, I, I'm sure many of you have seen the, you know, ha, have actually watched the small clip. But there's a nice extended version of that clip. Um, I saw it on Twitter, and uh, notice how I just still refer to it as Twitter. I'm just – I just refuse to. I, I'm sorry. I just refuse to call it X. I'm not calling it X. You know that that's my little that's my little protest. Um, so I'm just here. It is. Um, I'm actually going to post it right now. And if you're listening uh, to the podcast version of it, um, you're going to want to go into our Discord and go into the Cafe Chat channel, and you will see the link that I just pasted now. 
So this is an extended version of it. And it's about four, what, what is it? It's about four minutes and 46 seconds. And, and the specific part that caught my attention is he says something to the extent of, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing. He says, you will remember or let me remind you that the entire Tesla brand was built with built on um, a, with w- was built not spending a, a penny or not spending any money on advertising. So I love that because I wrote a book called Life After the Thirty Second Spot, and I wrote a book called Zero Zero Paid Media as the New Marketing Model. And I said, in a perfect world, the optimal media budget would be zero. We would not need, you know, why pay for attention when you're paying attention? Because we would have enough owned assets. We would have enough content and, 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 you know, customer loyalty and referrals and data and, and, and owned assets like our employees as, and, and customers as raving fans, but also things like real estate, our stores, our trucks, our clothing, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and I said it then. And I used the example zero as an acronym for zealots, entrepreneurship, retention, and owned assets. Zealots mean advocacy, entrepreneurship meaning innovation, retention meaning kind of customer centricity, your base. And I use that word very intentionally, as you'll see in a moment, if you haven't heard this from me before. And the O stands for owned assets. Uh, uh, When we are tenants, we rent media, and there is a landlord who can be a slumlord. But when we are landlords ourselves, we can actually own, we own, and we can actually monetize our assets. Marketing can actually move from being an expense or cost to becoming a revenue generator, total direct return on investment, where actually marketing makes money for the company. And the quintessential poster child for zero is Donald Trump. When we think about zealots, you know, the idea of advocacy, you either love him or you hate him, but most people don't view him as vanilla, although, you know, his hair kind of and pumpkin complexion sometimes does look a bit vanilla on a, on a good day or a bad day. You can choose whether pumpkin spice latte is his norm or his exception. Um, but, but by creating... By, no, it's not here we go. By, I'm, I'm actually using it as an example. Um, by creating um, emotion or, or, or people feeling, what you don't end up is just ignoring or having no opinion or being apathetic or indifferent. And, um, and that's the Z, right? The E of entrepreneurship, of innovation. Well, first of all, he ran on a platform of entrepreneurship as an entrepreneur, you know, as a business owner, um, but also the way, ironically, there's a connection back to Twitter. He used Twitter to disintermediate the media. He used Twitter to build a direct relationship with his customer or his prospect or his hater. It doesn't matter. These are all things that I'd written about and advocated. This idea of, you know, be Dell, go direct. You know, the DTC space with your dollar shaves and your quips, etc. Why would you have to go through a middleman, an intermediary, and pay all those premiums when you can actually build direct two-way, you know, relationships, communication, conversation, community with your base, which is the third one, which is retention. No matter what happened, Donald Trump just fed, as they said, he fed red meat to his base. 
He just fo- he focused on the votes that were so damn secure that they are still secure to this day, whatever you think or don't think about whatever has changed or transpired. So he didn't try and win over the haters. He didn't try and change the minds, you know, of the progressive left or the libs. He just, he didn't even necessarily try and win over the independents. He just focused on his core customer. And then the O of owned assets. And again, I can say this, you know, in, in a couple of ways, which is, when you, are, when you cannot stand on your own two feet, you have to borrow interest. That's why so many brands use celebrities and celebrity endorsements, right? Even going back to our crypto world, when we think about, um, you know, all these people that are getting into trouble now, the Ronaldos, the Tom Brady's, the LeBron's, you know, for hawking, you know, um, uh, FTX and, and crypto.com and, and all of these uh, crypto exchanges, when you cannot stand on your own two feet, you have to borrow interest, and that's where typically spokespeople, influencers, and celebrities come into play. Now, when you look at Hillary versus Trump, Hillary had all of that borrowed interest. She had Lady Gaga, she had Oprah, she had Beyonce. But when they, you know, but when they would stay on stage, they attracted the crowds. But let's be honest, the crowds came to see Beyonce perform or Oprah. And so what happens is, in a way, they detracted from... The, from who was meant to be the real brand or the real star, which was Hillary. Now, on the flip side, you can you can be a little cynical and snarky and actually say, well, you know, nobody wanted to endorse or, or you know, you had, you had Michael Adell, you know, total nut job at my pillow. You know, you had Kid Rock, you had, um, you know, who, who else was there? Ted Nugent. Um, and um, who was the other dude from, um, I forget his name, um, Bob, not Bobby or I don't know, um, but so in a way, all Trump had was himself, whether that was deliberate, whether that was just just circumstantial. And so everything was Trump. Trump, you know, it was it was even there was good, bad and ugly. There was Trump University, there was Trump stakes. But when he would give uh, a rally, he'd be, you know, on a tarmac and behind him was this big jet that said Trump on it. So every impression was his impression. And every impression ultimately was was feeding and building his brand as opposed to diluting it or distracting or detracting from it. So when Elon turns around and reminds us that Tesla was built without advertising, as was every great brand, by the way, you know, when we think about the Googles of the world and the Amazons of the world, not one of them built their brands using advertising. Yeah, I mean, you use advertising now to sustain when, when your market gets mature, when, you know, when, when you're not growing anymore, you have to like, you're going to kind of reminder advertising. But for the most part, the great brands, even Starbucks, right, were all built on, on advocacy, on referrals, on word of mouth, um, you know, on great products with great service, with great experiences, with great communities. So, Let's get back to Elon. So what's the goal then? You know, if he knew exactly what he was doing and, and the future is not advertising, or at least he doesn't believe that the future of X is advertising, then what's the play here? And, and we can speculate. Initially, the thinking was that he was going to turn it into, if not directly or exactly, but, uh, but conceptually or at least, you know, benchmark, um, China's WeChat that you have this 
you know, in a way text-based predominantly, but also multimedia, but this messaging text-based, text-based predominantly messaging platform that actually has a lot more functionality from a commerce standpoint. And, and it is that, that that actually people speculated was Elon's play. Let's just remember um, that, you know, Elon has some experience in, um, in the space, right? When we think about PayPal, he knows a thing or two about payments and about, and, and about this space. So is it conceivable that this was always the goal? And in a way, just basically shake, you know, shaking out or scaring off or, you know, quite frankly, you know, just like, excuse my French, but, well, I'll just bleep it, but with the advertisers and just having some fun and popcorn at the expense, it was all just part of the plan, which is to turn this into a WeChat-like um, commerce, text-based commerce, you know, I mean, look at, uh, you know, short, ver- substack short, uh, what's going on Patreon, I mean, what he's been doing with subscription and, uh, and Blue, um, and, and potentially, I mean, even his, you know, just look at all his endeavors, what's been going on with, with um, um, what's been, what's, uh, what was I going to say? What's been going on with, uh, what else has he been doing? Um, oh, I just lost my, my, my train of thought for a second. But all of his little endeavors, all of his little projects, it all seems like you can almost like kind of connect the dots, right? Uh, it will come to me, the other one. But, um, but Tesla, you know, Tesla with that massive, massive screen, like I can absolutely see a future where, you know, all this messaging is coming in and out, voice activated, but also commerce driven. You know, we do not have the ability. If I'm making a prediction here, maybe, you know, whether he's thought of, chances are he has thought of this because I'm not, you know, I'm smart, but I'm not that smart. You know, as I said, is, is Elon crazy? Yes, crazy like a fox, right? When, when you are in a car, and you hear a radio ad or a Sirius XM ad, you know, they go, that's 1-800-555-1213, It's like, I can't do anything about it right now. I'm driving a car. Like, well, you want me to remember this toll-free number? It's insane. But the ability just to go, you know, hey, Grok, buy, or whatever. Like, hey, Siri, buy, buy it now or just press a button, and just immediately there's a secure transaction. I mean, this is interesting stuff. You hear an ad, you immediately use a text-based messaging system to ask a question, just like you would have a chat feature or functionality, you know, on a website, and customer service, and you're talking to someone all via chat, you know, like customer service through a direct message on Twitter, and the ability to actually purchase that, well, that's super interesting to me. And, uh, and as I said, when you start to just connect the dots and, and actually look at all these little projects and, and little endeavors, you know, and little kind of experiments, um, is it possible? Now, why did I say 
Um, he knows exactly what he's doing, but do we care? Is I just wonder if the world or if this has passed him by yet. I don't know. You know, there's a lot of regulatory hurdles that have to be overcome. He's playing in all these interesting spaces. Um, but, you know, does the world care? Um, maybe not at the moment, but will they? Probably. I mean, look, here. here's the thing. At the end of the day, I believe we'll never be able to understand him. And, you know, he is one of maybe five people alive today that is, you know, visionary, crazy. You know, people say he's unraveling. I mean, maybe, you know, when you've got that much money. But here's the thing. How can you understand him? Like the way that I always say it is he is not like us. He's not like us. You can't really, I mean, I mean, just think about this if you're like in the audience. Like, what would you do if you had 15 minutes with Elon? Would you just be yourself and normal and, hey, how's it going? And how about the Jets? You know, like, how would you even have a conversation with him? You know, how would you like even be able to like hold your own? Uh, you'd be so intimidated. You know, like, what would you do? Would you try and, and one-up him? Would you try and like almost intellectually try and spar with him just because you're like, you know, trying to like, uh, but you're feeling so damn insecure. Uh, this is not. This is not the question whether he's a good, a, a good human, a good man, or a bad man, or whatever. I'm just saying, at the end of the day, we'll never be able to fully understand him and how his mind works, and uh, and and unpack the vision. There will be, I'm sure, books written, and you know, what's the what's the um, uh, Isaacson will write Elon like he's written about Albert Einstein and and Steve Jobs. So part of me always wants to give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, part of, part of me wants to say, I think he's always known what he's doing. Um, and when he doesn't, he doesn't care. Maybe both applies. When he doesn't know what he's doing, he doesn't care. And when he does know what he's doing, you know, I, I also said he knows exactly what he's doing, but do we care? But does the world care? Maybe that statement should be reworked or reworded to say he knows exactly what he's doing and one day we will care. But for me, it's not an or, it's an and. So when he doesn't know what he's doing, you know, he doesn't care. And when he knows exactly what he's doing, one day we will care. And so, you know, my only caveat is I would say is he's very eccentric. Um, he's, you know, whether he's corrupted by money or or enabled by yes men and women and you know he's definitely on you know on the spectrum i think self you know i think he's admitted whether it's whether it's high functioning autism or asperger's so he's he, he's physically or physiologically not like most of us and based on his brain and his capacity and his potential and his visionary visionaryness um he's definitely not like us um and and so that's kind of caveat one is we may not understand him or be able to understand him, but these things may actually detract. So in other words, yeah, I'm not an Elon booster and saying he's so perfect. He's just, just leave him alone. Let the visionary vision. I'm saying caveat number one is there's definitely some, you know, there's some, you know, Asperger's or eccentricity about the way he acts. Uh, number two is, will he be great at everything? No. Can he be great at everything? No. Can can anyone be great at everything? The answer is no, never, never, right? 
And the ability to think you can just outdo and outsmart and outthink and outperform and out-execute on everything is is foolish. You know, it's 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 just not realistic. And the third part of it is is you know again my fifth book, Built to Suck, is hubris and arrogance. That when you believe that you can, you know, when you believe that you can take over the world and you're better than everyone else and, you know, no man, no dynasty, no civilization, no brand lives forever. There is no documented case in the history of the world of a dynasty, a civilization, a person, you know, a country living forever. Not one. Not one. You know, I might be able to make the case that maybe the only one is the Jewish people based on the adversity and based on, if you just look at historical, but I'm not saying civilization or dynasty or even, or even country. I'm talking about, um, you know, I'm talking about something else. But other than that, I, I, I can't think of any examples. Um, Bez, you said, I have feedback on someone who worked at SpaceX and was getting fired every other day. Uh, feel free to come up and, you know, and uh, I invite you up, although you should have the ability to come up if you want to, if you want to give some feedback. Again, remember the thing is, n- no one's saying he's a, ba- he's a good boss as well or he treats his people well or doesn't treat it, treat it well. You know, it's one of those things which is if you go to work for Elon, you kind of like, you got to know what you're dealing with. You got to know what you're signing up for. And... And if you go there expecting to for everything to be normal and, be, and to be treated normally, I mean, I think it's a little unrealistic. But um, um, but uh, uh, let's uh, Bez, let's hear what you have to say. Well, um, it's interesting. Um, you know, uh, good morning, by the way. Um, I I don't know much about him, and you know, you were explaining. Uh, you know that he is on the spectrum and may have some other things which now now explains it a little bit for me um but um i do have a friend that worked at spacex over uh in california southern cal and um you know the feedback i was given is that and she worked in the hr department that um he would come in there every other day uh, and pretty much berating, screaming at people like who who hired this person or who hired this engineer, like it was HR who hired them, and um, would go around pretty upset, and then would scream and tell everybody that they were fired, and um, then you know as everybody's leaving, there's one director there saying, "Hey, uh, texting them all back, come back tomorrow," and. And they weren't really fired, but they were more like, um, you know, fired for the day, be back tomorrow, not really fired, right? So it was um, when uh, what they told me when it came time to renew their contract, they they just got out of there. They weren't really interested in continuing because, um, you know, the, a little for them, a little too unsettling. Um, and they said, hey. Now I know what I'm getting into. I'm just getting out. So, um, but I, I don't discount his vision. He's a visionary, and he's a he's a um, needle mover. You know, so there is some greatness in him. Um, 
he he just doesn't now what what you shared it actually explains a little bit about you know why does he act this way and you know it's probably a little bit more out of his control and he has seemed to become unhinged uh, a little bit later uh, i mean you hear the news and maybe you guys were talking about this about you know what he's telling the advertisers to go do you know go f yourself and that's not that's not good business you know it's um but anyway, I'll just leave it there. Um, yeah, and 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 by the yeah. way, and by the way, I mean, uh, look at the whole the, how we treated Twitter's employees, and and also look at how Steve Jobs treated his employees. These are not people. These are not people. Persons, you know, people. People. They're not. You know, they are. Um, they just struggle to. I mean, it would be it would be sad to say that true greatness. Like absolute greatness um, is, you know, comes with a um, a warning label that these are not going to be warm and fuzzy, you know, collaborative, inclusive, you know, nurturing people. Um, but I'll well, tell hey, you- hey, let, let me jump in there. Then remember when you in, uh, we interviewed or you invited Steve Finkelstein? Yeah, the the super boss guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super boss. Um, he actually, there was a question, I don't know, I think either you or myself asked and, uh, on your YouTube show. And he said, the super bosses are not all warm and fuzzy. He said, some of them are actually super demanding and, and quite the a-hole, some of them. Right. And so they come in all shapes and sizes. Um, but, um, yeah, sometimes you, you, you just don't get that warm and fuzzy type of person, but that's just, but that's not their thing, right? You know, they, they, um, so anyways, yeah, that was fascinating because, um, he himself, um, Steve Finkelstein said that when he did his research, they they were not all charismatic. But he's so. not, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't think Elon will ever be a, let's be honest, Elon will never be a super boss. But I, I will tell you one thing, just, you know, I've thought about this, um, and it's just a thought for you, for everyone thinking, Feel free to put it in the chat. But, you know, there's always a question, which is if you could uh, have lunch with, you know, any any business figure, like, you know, dead or alive, um, you know, who would you want to spend that time with, whether it's five minutes or have a phone call or be a mentor? And the choices were, I don't know, I'm just thinking Bill Gates, uh, Steve Jobs, um, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, or Elon Musk, I guess. I mean, probably others. Um maybe add Richard Branson as well, who would you choose? And for me, I would choose Elon. I, I, I don't even hesitate. I don't know why. I just would choose Elon. I just, maybe because I'm more just fascinated about how his mind works. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I would, I would, I know Zuckerberg would be the last person. Each one is obviously just has tremendous value, right? I mean, Richard Branson is, he's like the aspirational um, visionary that you just feel would be, he's probably the most nurturing Bezos is just like you know Bezos could probably just teach you so much um, you know Bill Gates I don't know if I added Bill Gates in as well but but for me it's just Elon you know I think I think the I think the opportunity for a spark of just complete greatness would come from him versus anyone else um, that's my that's my take um, we got about two minutes uh, Bez who would you choose of 
of that list or, or other, you know, or, or similar people. Have lunch with, be your mentor, you know, whatever, five minutes, answer it any way you want. Um, you know, um, just having read that book, Super Bosses, um, you know, it, it, obviously I love football, but, you know, I, uh, I, I would still choose um, the guy. For, uh, there's two people from the Philadelphia Inquirer, or, and I can't remember his name. Uh, even Rose Horowitz knew who he was. He was infamous. Uh, or um, Ralph Lauren you know, who spawned so many other brands from, yeah, but just, from his protégés. But just, yeah. just, just to push you, of those, uh, so of those people, Elon, Steve Jobs, um, you know, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Richard Branson, of that list. You know, Steve Jobs, I, I don't know. He, he was, had, had that hard edge, but I still think um, – there was something magical about him. I just like, he was able to convince the CEO of Pepsi to, you can either sell sugar water or come change the world. And he got him to come over when he, he wasn't, you know, so that would be my pick. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I, I appreciate it. You, you and you and jobs will do like a, like, like a, I don't know, like a WrestleMania, Uh, you and jobs against me and Musk. Um, We're going to take you out, Biz. Um, I think we win. I'm just joking. I, I think he's already out, but you know, he still exactly. Was great no, with the spirit, this, yeah. the spirit, the spirit. All right. Well, okay. thank, well, everyone, Christopher and Praxim, uh, Billy, Slick, uh, Bez, thanks for popping in today. Um, I'll be here this whole week, so I'm excited about that. And um, and just you know, winding up uh, for the rest of the the year. If you have any topics you'd like to discuss. Go for it on Thursday. We'll we'll do another chapter from the book uh, from Sunil Gupta's book, uh, Backable. I really enjoyed that. Um, and yeah, just have a great day, everyone. And I'll go ahead and put this out. If you were late to this and want to just catch what you missed, um, I'll put it out in the podcast later. And uh, yeah, take care, everyone. See you tomorrow. Bye. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.